Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to start today and I want to start this sermon series and I really don't know how long this is going to go. Typically, when we plan sermon series, we kind of have an idea of uh, particular topics that we want to cover or uh, um, things that we want to talk about, and a general idea of how long that's going to take. Um, in this particular case, we really, I really have no idea, um, but I'm calling this new sermon series, I'm calling it Jesus is Life. Um, Jesus is life. I mean that in the truest sense of the word, in, in that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he brings life, but also in sort of the, 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 the modern vernacular sense of the word that, you know, some people say basketball is life, some people say soccer is life, um, but Jesus is life, meaning he is the center of life. Life is about him. Uh, life is circling around him, and, and, I, and I, I get this title from my study of the book of Colossians. So if you're here today, welcome to the first installment of our study slash sermon series through the book of Colossians. And what we're going to do over the next, I think, probably six to eight weeks, um, we're going to be going verse by verse, line by line, um, through the book of Colossians. I'm doing this for three reasons. I have three hopes for you. Um, My first hope is that you would fall in love with the Bible, that you would fall in love with the Word of God. Um... I just believe that this is the best thing ever, (laughs) that this is seriously the the word of God is, is the great, if you could, it's the best use of your time to read the word of God. Um, I know you spend a lot of time reading posts on Facebook and reading stuff from MSNBC, um, and that's fine and all, but the best, I mean, this is this, the return on your investment that you invest in the Word of God, understanding the Word, learning the Word, reading the Word, is always so much greater than what you put into it because it, it, it is life. It is from the Word of God that we have knowledge, that we have wisdom, walking through all situations in life. So I want you to fall in love with the Bible. I want you to fall in love with the Word of God. When I was 12 years old, my pastor's dad tutored me in New Testament Greek. His name was Malcolm Lavender, or ML for short. And if there's one thing I got from ML, it is a love for the scriptures, a love for the word of God. And that, man, that has kept me. That, is, that has kept me in my marriage, that has kept me as a dad, that's kept me as a pastor, that's kept me as a teenager, as a 20-something. The word, because the word of God doesn't change. So 1992, when I was 12, 19, since 1992, a couple things have changed. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but stuff that was not okay in 1992 is suddenly not only okay, but really, really good. And stuff that was like really good in 1992 is suddenly not only it's not that great, it's actually frowned upon, you know? So it's like culture shifts, culture goes up and down, culture's value system swerves to the left and to the right, depending on who gets elected where, but, but the word of God never changes. It it is solid. And so, and so I want you to fall in love with this book. But I also, my second hope is that you might be more equipped through this sermon series, you might be more equipped to actually read it for yourself. Uh, it's good to fall in love with it, but if all you do is fall in love with it, then you just come to church every week. All right, Pastor Harry, I need to hear the word of God. Well, that's cool, but you can read it for yourself. And, and, and not just read it, but you can also understand it. So really, that's, that's your homework for this week, all right? Go home, take Colossians. If you don't know where it is, just Google it. Google Colossians 1. <laughs> Literally, Google Colossians 1. You'll find it. Uh, uh, just read the first chapter. It's 29 verses. It'll take you about 10 minutes. You won't understand like half of it, but that's okay. Okay, so this afternoon, you're going to go home. And what are you going to do? Come on, somebody, that's what I'm talking about. Five of you are going to go to Google and get distracted and check out Beanie Babies. And for the rest of us, though, you're going to go home, read Colossians chapter 1, and, and you're not going to understand it, and that's okay. Because tomorrow, on Monday, you're going to Google Colossians 1, and you're going to read it. And you're going to understand a little more, but you're still a lot of it not, it's not going to make sense. And that's okay, because Tuesday, you're going to... Google Colossians 1, you're going to read it, and, 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 and I guarantee you by Friday, if you do that, you will understand a lot more than you understood on Sunday. 
Because repetition is the way that it starts to sink into your spirit. But also while you read it, be sure to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Because it's not, it's, not, it's, not it's not an old book. I mean, it is. But it's a new, it's a living book that the Holy Spirit can help you understand. And so, it, so when, when we're reading the Word of God, we're participating with God. And God comes alongside us and helps us understand the Word. But not only that, I also want to give you some tools. Because honestly, like when I preach, I don't know what, how you think that it works. But I don't like sit around and like hum and meditate and, and God just downloads stuff to me all week. That's not how that works. I mean, I do meditate some on the word and, I, and God does download some things, but God downloads stuff to you too. Like God, his speaking to me is not exclusive. He'll speak to any Christian. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So, so you can hear from God, but you, you need some tools. You need some ways of actually studying the Bible so that you understand it, so that you come to a better understanding. So I'm gonna, I'll probably stop in different at different par- parts and just kind of clue you and show you how I got to the, uh, how I arrived to that understanding and it's not all just you know mystical stuff it's there's there's things there's even things online speaking of google there's things online that can help you study the bible and so I want to I want to give you some of those resources my hope is that over the summer that one we would fall in love with the word of god two we would learn how to handle it a little bit um, and then three that you would really understand the message of this specific book the book of colossians um, I really want you to, to get it because uh, it is a book that was written almost 2,000 years ago, but it's so applicable to us here and now. Um, and it's interesting. Um, the, the city of Kalash uh, was kind of uh, not a very large city. It was, uh, it, was, it was nearby a larger city that um, you may have heard of called Laodicea. Uh, and, and anybody that's studied the Bible, they, you, you've heard of Laodicea. It's in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus specifically writes his own letter to the church in Laodicea. Well, that was a large city. That was kind of like the Dallas of that day. Um, all the women wore makeup and all the guys washed their car every day. You know, it was, it was a nice, and, and, and it's interesting when you read Jesus's letter to Laodicea, Jesus wasn't as impressed with the makeup as they were. Uh, the high heels just didn't really do it for him. Uh, he was looking for something else, you know, but they were so proud of the money that they had accumulated. And anyway, it was this larger city. Well, well, kind of nearby that larger city was a smaller city, um, kind of like Austin. It was called Kalash. And there was a church in Kalash that had started about five years before this letter was written. So City Chapel's been going four years. So I figured, man, this is pretty darn similar. Um, the church in Kalash was started by a guy, uh, believed to be by a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras, it is believed, received the truth of the word from one of Paul's crusades as Paul was traveling and preaching. He received that and he went back to his hometown of Kalash. He's a native. There's not, there's not many of those around anymore. Come on, somebody. But anyway, he wasn't from California. Um, he, he, was, he, was, he was a native and he came and he came and he presented the gospel to the people that he knew. And from that, they started meeting in a guy's house by the name of Philemon. Uh, you might have heard of Philemon. There's another book in the Bible called the book of Philemon. That's, that's the Philemon that was associated with this church. Philemon and Onesimus would have been connected with Epaphras. So it's kind of cool how that all kind of fits together. Well, Paul is writing this letter to this young church, this church in Colossians. The church would have been about five years old, like I said, but um, they, didn't, they didn't have a building yet like us. So we're kind of beating them in that. Um, you know, uh, they were also smaller than us. So they're obviously not as, not as great as we are. Um, we're obviously, you know, growing faster than them. They probably, their offerings probably weren't the size of ours. So by all American standards, we are doing better than that church. But what's interesting is that God doesn't judge things by America's standards. Um, and you're going to see that, that God's got a lot of good things to say about this little little church in this little town um, called Kalash. And, um, and, and, and it was written about 60 AD. So this is, this is about 60 years um, after Jesus has, has died and rose again, ascended into heaven. Paul at this time is in prison. Now it's interesting to note, I'm explaining that because you need to know the context. I'm not going to do this every Sunday, but on the first Sunday, I'm going to give you the introduction. Um, Paul's in prison while he's writing this letter. Um, in fact, much of the letters that Paul wrote to the early church that are considered to be scripture uh, were written from prison. Paul, his, his, his hands are shackled in chains, his feet are shackled in chains, and he is writing 
this letter, which, which tells me that no matter what your circumstances, uh, God can still use you, God can still work through you, and God still has a plan for your life, no matter what circumstances you might be in. Paul doesn't know it, I don't think, at this point, but he's not going to get out of prison alive. Uh, he's going to go out of that Roman dungeon uh, horizontally um, and minus, minus a head. Um, he's going to die there. And he is, he's writing from there to encourage the different churches. Isn't it interesting? Even as he's suffering, even as he's about to be killed, he is encouraging other people. And this is the kind of guy that, that Paul was. And I'm explaining all this for you because it's important to know the context that the scripture came to us from. But at the same time, I also want to elevate, I want to elevate this, this scripture above simply a letter. Because it seems to be kind of popular nowadays to, especially with the writing of Paul, to be like, well, you know, it was written by this, this book, the scriptures were written by humans, so it's probably full of errors. There are probably mistakes and things like that because, because humans wrote it. Um, but but this, is, this, is, this, this might come as news to you, but um, God uses humans. Shocking, I know. Typically, angels go around and do everything. But when it came to the Bible, God was no different. God used humans to write the scripture. In fact, the Bible says of itself that it is God-breathed. Not God-written, but God-breathed. In other words, the Holy Spirit inspires the writer. And sometimes we don't know if the writer even knew that he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, but what he wrote was automatically or quickly understood to be inspired was understood to be more than just a letter, more than just a text message. This is something that's coming from the Spirit of God. This was understood by the early church and thus preserved. This was, this was understood by the, the older church whenever, whenever they assimilated and put together what we now have as the, the, the Scriptures. Uh, and, and it's amazing to me that, that God uses people and then God thinks that what people do are good enough for His eternal work. And so I do believe that it was written by a person in the con in, in an actual physical context. So it's good to know that because the, you can get inside the mind of Paul and you can understand a little bit about what he was thinking. But in the, at the end of the day, this is more than just a letter. This is the word of God. And so to say that it's the word of God is to elevate it above just humans writing letters. And I'm doing that because you're not going to fall in love with an old letter. Like I've never fallen in love with old writings. I'm not, I'm like, that doesn't turn me on, you know, doesn't do anything for me. But when, but when I understood that this was written by an eternal spirit, by the eternal spirit of God, who's not, who's not confined to a time frame, because if he was confined to a time frame and a culture, then the stuff he talks about would only apply to that culture. And then we'd come to our culture, we'd be like, this doesn't mean anything to me, but rather it was written by an eternal spirit. So this is God's letter, not just to the church in Colossians, but this is God's letter to the church in Austin. And not just City Chapel, but every church in Austin. This is God's letter for all time because eternity is outside of time and space. And so when God speaks something, he speaks it to the entirety of the thing, you know? So he sees all of time in one snapshot. He speaks to all of time. And that's why this book is eternally applicable throughout all of time. Anyway, uh, I believe, and you believe whatever you like, but I believe that it's the word of God. I believe that it's, it's inspired by God and that it is directly applicable to us today. And so let's go ahead and, and read it. And before we do that, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and, and we do. We ask for the Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of our heart, open up the eyes of our, our mind, that we wouldn't just read a letter today or start reading a letter today, but that we would, we would, we would welcome the Word of God, that the Word of God would be sown into our heart and that it would bear fruit that it would grow, that there would be something planted inside of us because we opened your word. Lord, every time we open your word, there's the potential of life and in, in, within seed form. And so let that life enter into our ears and into our mind and sink down into our heart and build, grow up something uh, that, that, that will last. Grow up some eternal fruit from the, the reading and the exploring of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and, and uh, jump into Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. It starts with these words. It says, Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. Now, this is a normal um, introduction for letters in those days. You, you, you typically wouldn't start the letter with who the letter is addressed to. You would start with, with who the author is. And Paul, I mean, just right away, the very first word, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, uh, we're going to get into this further, but Paul wasn't always Paul. Uh, and in fact, he wasn't born Paul. His parents didn't name him Paul. His, uh, his childhood friends didn't call him Paul. Uh, he, was, uh, he was known as Saul. That was the name that he was given. And he had an experience with God that so radically changed him, so radically transformed him that he changed his name. He changed the name. I, I wonder if at this point, I don't know, but I, I wonder if at this point in history, I wonder if it was still weird for him to write a P instead of an S. You know, like I, I, I wonder if it's if he, if he still kind of kind of because because I know humans and I know us, we have a tendency to refer to ourselves by the way that we have been. And sometimes it takes great faith to not even reference the Paul that we have been and just simply introduce ourselves as the one that God has called us to be. Sometimes it takes a lot of faith just to say just Paul. Just Paul. There's no, there's no Saul, not Paul, formerly Saul, not Paul, the, the guy you used to know as Saul. No, he doesn't even bother referencing that. And so, so I love how he just, he just allows his past to fade away. He allows his reputation, his former reputation to just fade into the background and allow himself to be who God has called him to be now, who God has made him to be now. He's not, a, he's not connected to his past. And God isn't connected to your past either. When he, when he designs your destiny, he doesn't check in with who you have been. He doesn't check in with where you have been or what you have known or what you have done or what you've been convicted of. He doesn't go into all of that. He just, he, his power is so powerful that it radically changes people to the point that they have to re-identify themselves as something else. It's amazing. Paul, so the, right away, Paul, just his nature of his name tells us that God has done something amazing in him. And instead of referencing his past, look how he labels himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, an apostle. The only reason he's an apostle, an apostle is somebody who uh, was, one, was, was one who actually walked with Christ, who actually knew Christ. And one of the reasons why this is believed to be scripture is because Paul was one of those apostles, one of those who actually saw Christ. Now, he didn't see Christ when Christ was in the flesh. Rather, Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he had this amazing experience. And then he spent about seven years in the wilderness with the Holy Spirit, learning from the Holy Spirit. And then he came back, and he said, I am an apostle. Not because, not because of his qualifications, not because of his past, and so he changed his name and became an apostle. And I love this next part. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, now he's got to give some qualifications. He's got to give some, some reasons. The reason he's calling himself an apostle is because he's about to use his apostolic authority to really speak to these people, to really direct them, to really sow into them the word of God. But before he can do that, he's got to give his qualifications, which is that he is an apostle. Okay, Paul, he, Paul an apostle because of the many bestsellers that he has written. <laughs> Paul an apostle because of the many churches he has planted. No, Paul an apostle because of that guy he, rose, he raised from the dead. Like he's got some qualification. He's got some things that if you were to line them up, you would say, man, yeah, this guy is pretty legit. He kind of knows his stuff, but he's not referencing any of the things he has done or any of the success that he's experienced in his ministry. Instead, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And I would just suggest to you that whatever you are, you, you might want to be it by the will of God. Like if you're a stay-at-home mom, you need to be a stay-at-home mom by the will of God. If you're, if you're an engineer with Dell, you need to be an engineer with Dell by the will of God. Because, uh, because it's easy. Well, maybe the reason why Paul said by the will of God is because he's no longer doing all the things he used to do. Because he's sitting in a jail cell and he's got chains around his ankles, chains around his wrists. And if you sit there long enough, you're going to start to question yourself. 
In fact, he had other people questioning him. Well, if he really is such a great apostle, how come his church shrunk so much, right? How come everybody left him except this, 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 this starstruck guy, Timothy, who just wanders around with them everywhere? Like, like, if you really are an apostle, why are you going through so much hardship? Why are you stuck in jail? And so, you know, you, I say you ought to know what you are by the will of God because, honestly, you're gonna, there's going to come a time in your life when you don't have much else. I mean, I mean, it's easy, you know, when, when the lights are on and the microphone's working and there's a platform and there's people out here for me to say, I am the pastor of City Chapel because, I mean, look at all these people that want to that wanna hear the word of God. I mean, look at, look, look at the worship band that we put together. I mean, look at the kids' ministry. Look at the people that have been baptized. I mean, that's really great when you, when, when you, have, when you have some level of success. But, but man, when you're in a, in a, in a jail and, and you don't have a church and you're not traveling preaching anymore, nobody's giving you any offerings. Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's checking in on Facebook at the prison in Rome, you're stuck by yourself. There's going to come a point in time where you have to wonder, am I who I thought I was? And if I am, why am I that thing? Is it because they believed in me? Is it because they believed in me? Or is it because somebody else decided that I would be who I am? Is it by the will of God or is it by the fact that things kind of worked out? Or is it by the fact this is what I always wanted? At some point, man, you got to get to the place where you are what you are, whatever you are, by the will of God. Because that's the only thing that's going to hold you through a storm. That's the only thing that's going to keep you from giving up. So many of us give up because we are what we thought that we were by the results that we got. And when we stopped getting those results, suddenly we don't know what we are. I'm married to the woman I'm married to by the will of God. I am the dad of the kids I'm the dad of by the will of God. I, I wouldn't even have picked me for that job. Sometimes I think God got it wrong. But I'm like, Lord, are you sure you got the right? But, but this is key that no matter who doubts me and even when I doubt myself, I don't rely on my own will. I say I am who I am by the will of God. So it's so important. And Paul's going to unpack this in the rest of chapter 1, which you read when you get home. How important it is to know the will of God. That's why you got to know the will of God so that you can know who you are. And that you can be who you are. No matter the voices that come against you from the outside or the voice that comes against you from the inside. I am an apostle by the will of God, even when I have nothing else to show for it. He says, I am an apostle by the will of God. And he talks about Timothy, uh, his brother, who's with him in prison. And in verse 2, he addresses this letter. He says, he says, this letter is going to God's holy people in Colossians, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. To God's holy people in Colossians. Uh, I think the King James and the New King James say um, to the saints in Kalash. I kind of like that because it's old school. Um, but God's holy people is also a good translation because technically that's what saint means. Um, saint is not somebody that was elected by some cardinals and, and bishops and, and then affirmed by a pope. That's not, that's not a biblical saint. So a saint is somebody who is made holy by God. Uh, a saint is someone who has been made holy by God. And a, a holiness has a moral quality to it. It means to be set apart or separated um, for divine purpose. Uh, but it certainly has a, a moral quality to it in that it, it produces some good things in your life. But the actual being made holy is something that God does. And so Paul's writing to a church and he says to the saints... In Colossians, I, I just think it's good to get the right labels and get your labels right. Get, get your labels right. Because uh, your label, I mean, your label will help define what you believe about a thing. And so often, so many people walk around with their shoulders slumped down. They've been saved. They, they've had the Holy Spirit come into their life. And yet they still call themselves a sinner saved by grace. And I just want to challenge you with that label. Because Paul is not writing to sinners. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't addressed to them. If you're a sinner today, we welcome you to come into a different kingdom. Because this letter will then be written to you. This letter is written to saints. 
And a saint is not somebody who earns it. It's not somebody who works toward it and finally achieves some kind of perfection. A saint is someone who's been made holy by God. The work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart, creating holiness inside of us. And when you call yourself a sinner, don't be surprised when you act like one. So that's, I like the fact that Paul's not messing around. He's just being honest with what God has done in them. It's not to say that they don't make mistakes. It's not to say that they're above like some kind of weird perfection thing. But, but it is to say that God has done a work in their life that has radically changed who they are on the inside. And it is doing something also on the outside. He said, I'm writing this to the saints or to the holy ones in Coloss. And then he has another label for them, a second label. He says, you are the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Technically, it's just brothers, but King uh, the NIV is trying to be politically correct. Um, but 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 Paul would have would have meant the women too. You know, he was he was talking. This is, he's talking to the whole church. And, and and I love the two labels he gives them because this is he's, this is kind of the setup for his introduction, which he's going to build on. But the first label is that they are holy. The second label is that they are faithful. Holiness is something God does in you. Faithfulness is something you do. To those around you. Notice he says they are, you are faithful brothers. It's the first time that he brings in the family word brothers. Sisters. Family. That's how you treat other people. And so I love how he says you guys are, are holy. It's your connection with God. Something God's done in you. But you're also faithful. It's something you're doing to other people. And this is the church I think that God sees. God sees a church that is holy and faithful. And he goes on to explain in verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now notice, Paul had never met the Christians in Colossians. And, and, he, and he never does. Uh, he heard about them through the pastor, um, Epaphras. Epaphras went to Rome, the Roman prison and shared the good news with, uh, with Paul. But Paul never actually met them. But from what he heard about them, he is thanking God. He's praising God. He's thanking God for this little church in Colossians. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. I want to stop right there. The, perp the reason, the purpose for Paul's thanksgiving, his rejoicing over this church is twofold. Number one, their faith in Christ Jesus. This correlates with their holiness. This correlates with their saintness. See, this is what it takes to be holy, is to put faith, 100% faith, in the person and work of Jesus. That's what, that's, what, that's what brings holiness into our life. He said, I'm so fired up, I'm so thankful that you have faith in Jesus. And, and as a pastor, I'll just tell you that, that, I mean, that is something that fires me up. When people begin to move their faith off of stuff of this world, whether it's their religious attitude or, or whether it's a good old Austinite, they don't kill animals, so they're good people kind of stuff. If it's good old self-righteousness or, or whatever it is, when you move your faith off of you unto Jesus, I get fired up by that. I love that. I don't care if, we, if, if the church doesn't get big. As long as we get faith, <laughs> I'll be all right about that. I, I want to see people grow in their faith, that their faith would get big. You got, if you got big faith, man, you can, move, you can move mountains with little faith. I mean, just think what big faith could do. But when we put our faith in Jesus, he starts doing a work in our life. And Paul says, man, I'm so thankful for the faith in Christ Jesus. But also, he says, for the love that you have for all of God's people. And this is where so many Christians just miss it. This is the church that God sees. This is the church that I see. This is the church I want to be a pastor of. This is what I want for City Chapel. I want us to, to have faith in Christ and love for all of God's people. At the same time, See, a lot of times we get, we, get, we, we, we get faith in Christ and, man, we know the truth. We got our faith right. We got our doctrine right. And by golly, we're going to hold out to the bitter end and we're going to defend the truth. We're going to fight for the faith. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill who said, who said it's, so, it's so ignorant to say that you're going to defend the truth because it's like, it's like, it's like somebody walking in front of a lion with a sword. 
Because the thing you're defending is so powerful, so much more powerful than your capability to defend it. That it's sort of backward. It's like saying you're going to be a bodyguard for Thanos. <laughs> for the modern application. It's Thanos don't need a bodyguard. That's ridiculous. He, he needs a strap for his glove, you know what I'm saying? But he doesn't need it. But, but like he... he You're trying to defend something that's far greater than your ability to defend it, far greater than your ability to argue with people, far greater than your ability to convince people what is true. The truth of God's word that's been passed down to us is far greater than your ability to, it doesn't need you to defend it. It's strong enough. But what happens is we get, we get faith and we're like, all right, well, I got this, this, this correct doctrine, this correct faith. I'm going to fight for that. And we forget to love God's people. And the faith ends up becoming a, a weapon or a bat that we, that we swing at people telling them that they ought to change and they ought to be different. And we use our faith not for love, but we use it to build walls around our faith and try to preserve our faith. That's what you do when you defend something. We're trying to defend it, build it, guard it all. No, man, it's supposed to, your faith that comes from Christ, which is a gift from Christ, is supposed to grow inside of you something called love for other people. In fact, all of God's people, all of God's people, even like God's people that don't see, see, we, we have, we have a good and easy time loving people who think like us, loving people who vote like us, loving people who dress like us, loving people who look like us. I would just say, be careful around people who claim to love all God's people when all they ever hang out are with people who look just like them. They might not have a love for all of God's people. Like, the, like seriously, the, the, the church ought not to be all the same skin color. I mean, unless you're in Michigan. If you're in Michigan, I grew up in Michigan, and that's just the way Michigan is. I mean, everybody looks like me. They're, they're white, whiter, or whitest. That's, that's where... That's mostly, I mean, at least in my town, that was, that's Port Huron, man. I don't know. Like we went, we went up there for my, my uncle's funeral and it was like, I felt like I wasn't white enough to be in the room. I was like, I, I it, it, like, I actually know what a taco is. I, I'm pretty sure I, I felt awkward, you know, because I'm so used to this. I'm so used to this, this here that, that, that we don't, that, that, that we don't judge people by the color of their skin. And, 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 and even in a church like this, you can, you can only talk, you, you can find, single out the correct ones that you want to talk to and the correct ones that you want to love and the correct ones you want to have lunch with and the correct, you know, the ones that are more like you. But man, when you, when, when you really have faith in God, there is something that's birthed inside of you. It's a love for all of God's people. No matter what color their skin is, what side of town they live on, where, 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 where they come from. If, I mean, and, and, that, and that's including rich people, you know, because some of us don't want to hang out with rich people. Because we all have, it's interesting how we build like, like justifications for judging people based on their level of maturity. Like, it's like we look at what, we look at how they're living and what we know and we judge them based on what we know. And well, they shouldn't be wearing that and they shouldn't be going there and they shouldn't be listening listening to that and they shouldn't be talking like that and 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 here's the kicker you can't judge someone and love someone at the same time it doesn't work it it doesn't work that way you cannot you say oh well well I would I would never judge anybody well okay that's 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 good that's good just make sure that 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 as you're as as this faith is developing in you that you don't allow this 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 religious spirit to rise up inside of you and sit around dining room tables and carve people up and then wash your hands and say, I have done no wrong, right? Your mouth is full of violence through gossip and slander. But you say, I haven't done anything. And the blood's dripping from, that's, 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 that's a Bible verse. Anyway, it, 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 it's it, like, like this, this, is, this is what we do. And we say that we love God who we haven't seen, but we are not passionately pursuing those people that we have seen. 
And John says, I'm calling your bluff, man. You don't really love God. You don't, because a real faith in God will produce fruit inside of you that grows to a love for all of God's people. And what I've seen many times in churches is it's like, it's like we're either on the faith side where it's like I'm holding on to my faith and I'm not going to love anybody, or we come over on the love side where we have such great affection for everybody that we just don't want to offend anybody by sharing actual truth with them. And that's no better. Because what happens is you see somebody walking toward a cliff and you don't tell them that they're walking toward a cliff. You see somebody in danger of eternal judgment and you don't say anything. That's not, that's not love. That's, not, that's, that's, that's affection. That's a, that's a desire to have people think well of you. And so we're so afraid sometimes of offending people because really we just want to please everybody and we want everybody to think that we're wonderful. Well, no amens on that one. But anyway, this is, but this is what we do. And so, and so we abandon our faith. We bend our faith to line up with our particular affection of a person. And that's not helpful either. The gospel is the perfect marriage of faith and love. This is what's growing inside of them. And so the great question is, how, do, how does that happen? How do I, how do I, how do I have that that faith and love. Well, Paul describes how this has happened for these folks in verse five. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope. The faith and love that spring from the hope. The faith and love spring from hope. Stored up for you in heaven about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit. So he says you have heard it and it's bearing fruit. In the same way, it's bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. As a difference between hearing about God's grace and truly understanding God's grace. And Paul said, when you truly understand the grace of God, a hope starts growing inside of you. Grace is more than graciousness. Graciousness of God is nice, but that's not grace. Uh, grace is power. That's why, that's why simply understanding the graciousness of God or the mercy of God right? Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. And this is true in terms of judgment for ultimate judgment, but it's also true just in life. Like I'm sure none of you have ever made a mistake and done something stupid and, and then realized it afterward, like after the words are already out of your mouth, all the husbands ought to be able to say amen to that. Come on, some bunch of wimps, just gutless, gutless. No, not me. I've never done it. Sometimes it's already out. And you're like, oh, that wasn't, yeah. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I mean, because there's, there's just natural consequences to stuff. You know, you turn the wrong way down a, down, down, down a street. There's natural consequences. And so, and so mercy is asking God to intervene on the natural consequence. Really, just God saved me from me. Like, like I, I done screwed up, hey, Ron. I, I, I need, I need some, some shift. Like, I, like I've already done the thing, uh, but now I don't want to suffer the consequence. That's what mercy is. And God, man, so many times God has swept in and saved me from my own stupidity, and saved me from my own selfishness, and saved me from my own arrogance. Like, when, when I call on him, so God is a God of mercy, absolutely, but grace is different than that. Grace is power to do something different. So mercy deals with what you have done, but grace gives you power to have a different future. Paul put it like this in another letter. He said he, said he was praying to God, asking him to remove something, uh, something difficult in his life. And Jesus said, he said, I'm not going to remove it because my grace is enough for you. That's not mercy. He already experienced the mercy of God. He said, my grace is enough for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so, so grace is power. That's why when you fully understand the grace of God, you have power to walk in faith and love. 
And how does that power come to us? Well, uh, he says, he, I, I just want to finish reading this section. He says, he says, you fully understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. They received gr- the grace of God. They fully understood the grace of God when they received the hope from Epaphras. Verse five, I wanna go back to verse five. It says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And so this is how you receive faith and love is through hope. Uh, it says spring from, but technically in the original language, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a little word, dia, which means through. So it doesn't mean that hope produced faith and love. Rather, faith and love is produced by God. God gives faith. God gives love. God gives hope. These three eternal things, they all come from him. All right. So God gives it, but it comes to us through something. In this case, Paul is, is pointing out the fact that you receive faith and you receive love through something called hope. Hope is the channel It's the passageway through which faith and love come into our lives. Through which faith and love begin to grow in our lives. So you got to have hope. You say, great, how do I get hope? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They received, they heard about a hope for them that had been laid up in heaven when Epaphras brought it to them. And so the way I think of it, I'm just kind of in simple terms is that it would be sort of like a rope. And Epaphras is walking around with that rope, but the rope is actually secured for them in heaven. And that's what that word means, stored up for. It means locked down, uh, bolted down. You could wrap it around uh, the, the bass guitar if you like. I don't know. <laughs> no? No? Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, it's bolted down. Let's just pretend it's, it's bolted down. It's, it, that's, that's the hope. But, but, but see, the church in Colossians, they were walking around, they were living life without hope. They had no hope. And many of the people in, that I brush shoulders with, you and I brush shoulders with, they have no hope. They're, they're, like, they're like Roe right here, who's sitting completely hopeless. <laughs> Sebastian, this is Disney. Um, just, just, there's no hope. Just living life. See, because we we're not born with hope. We don't have hope in us. We got to find it somewhere. And so we reach for stuff. We reach for politicians. We reach for CBD oil. Come on, somebody. You know, just, uh, I was just, just going to put some CBD oil on my Viper and see what it would, if it just like, I don't know, if it would like make scratch resistant, maybe. Just kidding. It's helpful stuff. I'm not saying it's not helpful. But good politicians are also helpful right? People that make good decisions, that's helpful too. So it's not like we put hope in stupid stuff because we are very smart. We put hope in good stuff. We, we, we put hope in, in people. We put hope in husbands and wives. We're always looking for something because we, we don't have it in us. So we got to grab it. And so Epaphras had been looking all his life and he couldn't find anything that was steady because every time he put his hope in a person, that person let him down. Every time he put his hope in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, some kind of medication, that medication let him down. Every time he put his hope in some process, in some religion, that religion, those people let him down. Every time he put his hope in something, it just kept, he would pull on it. Times would get tough and it would just, it would just fall through. And then he met Paul and Paul told him about a hope that was not laid up in anything here on earth. That there was no individual, there was no protocol, there was no process, there was no government. It was laid up in heaven, which is above the earth. It's it's outside of this sphere. And Paul told him about that hope. And when Epaphras grabbed a hold of that, he pulled on it and it was solid. It has been laid up for him in heaven. Well, who laid it up for him in heaven? Jesus. Jesus is in heaven holding on to the other end of that hope. He's, it's, 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 as, it's as steady and solid as the rock of ages. <laughs> and he put his faith in that. And then he said, oh man, this is real. This is good. And he started walking around talking to people who also had no hope. And he handed the hope, not from himself. He told Roe, who was hopeless. <laughs> 
Jonathan too. Has anybody ever been hopeless before? Do you remember what that felt like? And do you remember when the Holy Spirit made you understand that there was already somebody who had gone before you and prepared a hope for you? And that you weren't alone in this world and it wasn't up to you to fix everything and that you couldn't fix everything. You could just hold on to this hope. And that's one of the amazing things about the hope of the gospel is that it's extended to sinners, to people who are broken and lost and hopeless and alone. And, and Epaphras found a whole bunch of his friends who were all hopeless and broken and lost and alone. And he just shared the hope. And he said, here, hold on to this. This will get you through. Here, hold on to this. Because, because when you're holding on to something that's secured in heaven, it doesn't matter what you're going through down there. It doesn't matter what you're going through down there. It's holding on to you. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. He said, this hope we have is an anchor for the soul that has gone beyond the veil. An anchor is something that drops below the surface of the water and holds a boat down in the middle of a storm. But see, here's the deal. You and I are not in a boat. We're in a body. So we don't need something that drops below the surface of the water. We need something that rises behind the surface of the clouds that connects us with something heavenly because we get pulled down here. We need something to pull us up and lift us up and elevate us. Because sometimes we can't run. Sometimes we can't. We're not motivated. Sometimes we don't have a lot of faith and a lot of love. But if you hold on to the hope that has been laid up for you in heaven, I'm telling you, it's solid. It's sure. And you might even be, my, my pastor used to say, you might be at the end of your rope. You might feel like, but if you're at the end of your rope, as long as Jesus is at the other end, of your rope. There's hope at the end of the rope. There's hope. Just tie a knot and hold on. Because sometimes Jesus even has to pull you. Sometimes he got, like you can't even walk and he just is pulling. Heaven is pulling you through the stuff of earth. Don't get distracted by the stuff. Don't get distracted by the pretty stuff. Don't get pulled away by the pretty stuff down here. And don't get too discouraged by the ugly stuff. Because my hope is not in this stuff down here. My hope is not in this country down here. I'm looking for a better country. A better home. I'm looking for something better. It's not that I don't like this down here. But there's something better than a Dodge Viper. Come on somebody. There's something better than in America. There's something better than Austin. There's something better. And I've caught a glimpse of something better. And that thing's pulling me. That thing's thing's pulling and tugging at my heart that even at the very best times in my life, I say, this can't be it. There's something better up there. And so I gladly lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets me because I got my eyes on something better. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.18 in that same cell. (laughs) Only this time it was toward the end. Timothy had even left him. He had been sent away to work at another church. And so he writes to Timothy and he says, he says to Timothy, I want you to remember what I've been telling all these churches this whole time. That there is a crown laid up for me in heaven. There's a crown laid up for me in heaven. And it's not just for me. It's for everybody that puts their faith in Jesus. It's everybody who loves his appearing. There's, there's a crown laid up for me. And that word crown, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the word for uh, uh, like, like, a, like, like a king crown. It's not a diadem. That would be the, the word for the kingly crown. It's not a kingly crown. It's a, uh, it's a wreath. It's a word for a wreath. Like, um, like, like in the old Greek games, or in the Roman games, when they, would, when they would go into a race, the winner of the race would receive a crown, the victor's crown. And it wasn't a king crown. It was a wreath symbolizing their victory. But before the game, they would, they would take it, because like, you don't know who's going to win before the game. You know what I'm saying? It's a competition. You don't know. You can hope, but, but you don't know who's going to win. So they would take the wreath, and they would put it up on a high place. They would lay it up. And then the runners would start running. And then they would run their race. And at first, man, you you start running a race, you're good. It's fine. I don't know if you've ever ran, but I used to do it in high school. I don't do it anymore, but (laughs) you start running, you're good, man. You're good. You got to pace yourself, actually. You can't get it. But but on the the 10th lap, 
around that Colosseum and you feel like giving up. You feel like breaking down. You're like, I don't think I have it in me anymore. And Paul said, I'm to- I've been running for so long. I can't even remember the last time I could rest. But what keeps me going is I look up at that thing that's laid up for me. I look up at something that's going to make all of this worthwhile. I keep going forward because of where I'm going to. And he even said, he said, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets you. And, and, and look to Jesus who endured the cross. Because if you, if, if you can catch a glimpse of your crown, you can endure your cross. You, 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 it, man, it, the hope, the, you'd be surprised what you can go through with hope. You'd be surprised what hope can pull you through. And you'd be surprised at what will take you out without hope. Some of the littlest things, text messages and Facebook posts and junk can wipe you out when you're not holding on to some hope. But you'd be amazed what what hope will do that's steady, that's solid, that's secure. Would you stand with me? We're getting ready to close out service. It's the first installment of Colossians, but I just want to pray with you. Some of you are here and it may be that you've never put your faith in Jesus, and so you've never received that hope. I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about love, and and to you, these are ideas, but they're not realities in your life. And so I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus and to receive that hope. Really, I want to extend this the rope of hope to you. I found it. Several others here have found it. And man, I wouldn't want to walk without it. And you can receive it today just just by taking your faith off yourself and putting it in Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me for just a minute and just pray this prayer. If you want to do that, go ahead and pray this prayer. And actually, all of us can pray this prayer just just to, because, heck, we all need to put our faith in Jesus right now. So just go ahead and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I thank you for the hope that you have laid up for me. I put my faith in Jesus that he died for my sins that he rose again and that he is preparing a place for me. I choose to hold on to your word and follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you shoot your hands up real quick and just let me know. Just encourage me a little bit. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is incredible. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. And we just welcome you to keep moving in and among us. We welcome you to keep doing what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.